Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Appreciate it. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank Jesse you. Jesse Weber's birthday today. What, what more would I want than being on with Dan for my birthday? Big interview coming up Thursday night. We're going to talk with Congressman George Santos. I want to know what you would ask him. Go to newsnationnow.com or scan this QR code on your screen. Leave a comment with questions that you have for George Santos. That does it for us tonight. Thanks for watching. Banfield starts now. on Banfield. It is super duper busy, so I'm just going to jump right in. We've got two big breaking news stories tonight. The first one I did not think I was ever going to bring to you again. I didn't even think I'd have to refer to the the bind torture uh, rape killer, better known as BTK, because he's been locked away for 20 years, rotting. And it turns out there is news. I think that investigators at this point believe it's possible there's another victim buried on one of his properties. And they are digging as we speak. Again, this is breaking news. The BTK killer is suspected to have another victim, and they are digging at one of his properties. So um, I've got some news from his daughter. Spoke with her earlier today about this. She knew this was happening, and she spoke with her father. I'm going to tell you all about that conversation in a moment. But this is sort of weird, right? Because it's like a, it's Oklahoma investigators, um, and he's from Kansas. So it's like next door, but they've come to Kansas to one of his properties, not far from Wichita, where he was from. Um, it's just, you know, it's hideous that we're even dealing with this again, but, but we are. So I'll give that to you in a moment. And in, you know, serial killer news. I've got Long Island serial killer news as well. It turns out the police chief that was heading the investigation to find the Gilgo Beach murderer, the guy who was dumping body after body after body on Long Island, Rex Hureman was just arrested for it, right? Suspected of being the killer. Turns out the police chief who was in charge of that investigation for years and who many accused of bungling it, who the feds said, you know, Blocked them at every way, every step. They struggled, you know, with him. And we're going to move on from the uh, BTK pictures, if we can. And we're going to move on to the the other serial killer, Rex Hureman uh, suspect. It turns out the police chief has been arrested. And the, the irony in all of this, he's no longer the police chief. He's actually disgraced. He ended up going to, to, to prison for beating up a, a suspect who was chained to the jail floor. Um but not a suspect in the serial killing. The irony in all of this is that he gets out of prison, he's done with probation, and he gets arrested this morning for soliciting a sex worker, or at least soliciting someone posing as a sex worker. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't make this stuff up. Uh, and it was a guy. That's the other thing. It was, a, it, was a, it was a sting operation using a male who was posing, and, and the sting, he got caught up in it, and he got arrested. I'm going to tell you all about the charges he's facing now. And what he said to the undercover, a.k.a. don't you know who I am? I love when that happens. Okay, that's coming up. Um, and then that UFO story that we brought you last night, all these new images from a commercial pilot who saw two and a half hours of bizarro lights out in front of his uh, cockpit as he was flying from Dominican Republic. Another pilot saw it too. They got video of it. It's been analyzed. It turns out there's a checklist. It turns out there is a checklist to take this stuff seriously. And this incident hits almost all the boxes. So we called one of the finest minds in the business, Michio Kaku. He's going to be on the program, the world's leading physicist. He's going to weigh in on what he thinks about this. 
and that checklist and what it means as we move forward in the summer of UFOs. Also, um, shocking video of a woman in Oakland, California. This just, oh, just makes my skin crawl. Two masked men jump out of a car and they grab her by the hair and by the purse and they drag her across the gravel. Uh, I'm thinking she's being abducted, but they just want that purse. That's what they did to this woman just to get her money. This is like the banditry, the wholesale criminal activity. Look at this video. It's just, it's, it's just jaw dropping what they're doing to this poor woman. And it makes you think, what if we had no police at all, right? All these people do away with the police, you know, defund the, you know, whatever. Just imagine if you were trying to call 911 and be like, sorry, we all quit. Because there's a town that doesn't have to actually imagine that anymore. Um, it actually happened. Every one of them, every last one of the cops quit. And they said, we deal with this kind of stuff all the time. We're paid crap. 22 bucks an hour to put our lives on the line regularly and basically be spat on and hated and told that we're the Antichrist. So, good luck. Uh, you're going to meet the sheriff that's had to take over all the duties of this town. And we're going to talk to the sheriff about whether this is something that's actually happening, not just in this town. But if this is a problem for any town, America, when you see crime like that and you think, yeah, what if, what if there was no one to respond? That's all coming up in a moment. Let's start with Dennis Rader, BTK, 20 years serving time for murdering 10 people. You know, he was the vision of perfection in the community with the church and the whole, you know, leadership and blah, blah, blah. And means killing people, torturing them, raping them, murdering them, and shocking the world when he was arrested. So now here we are 20 years later of him rotting in prison. And this is what we can tell you about what is going on right now in Kansas. Um, Oklahoma investigators who are searching out Cynthia Dawn Kinney, who disappeared in 1976, which just so happens to be when Dennis Rader began his killing odyssey. There's Cynthia. So these investigators think that maybe there is a connection to Dennis Rader. And they actually uh, tried to interview him, tried to get intelligence. Investigators tried to figure out whether he might cough one more victim up. And I spoke with his daughter today. She is aware that they are digging at one of his properties. She also told News Nation that she went to visit her father and spoke with him for the first time in 18 years. She went to visit him in prison to help the investigators try to get information on this case. So this is all happening now as we speak. This is breaking news. Whether they're going to find Cynthia Kinney, who was 16 when she disappeared, we don't know. But the investigator said, cold schmold. There is no such thing as a cold case. We are going to find, um, we are going to find her if we can. We are going to figure out if it's, uh, if it is BTK or not. So that's what happened. I want to bring in Mike King. He is a retired homicide detective, but he was also connected to the lead investigator in the BTK case. Uh, he has many of the photos of the crime scenes and he actually, along with that investigator, taught college classes on BTK's killings and he's with me now live. So Mike, um, do you think it's possible that Dennis Rader may have gone to a neighboring state um, and, and killed back in 1976 Cynthia Don Kinney? Well, I think the one thing that we can be sure of is that in most cases, a serial predator doesn't simply stop. And so the idea that when things stopped in Wichita, it doesn't necessarily mean that that killer didn't move somewhere else. And so... Uh, it's absolutely possible, Ashley, and, and something that it would take, um, it would be foolish not to follow up on the lead. If there is something that ties Raider to a location where there's a missing person that fits within his preferential victim and fits within the style of, of how he committed these homicides, uh, you've got to follow through with it because you've got to at least exclude it if not included in the numbers. So, Mike, Carrie Rawson, uh, Raider's daughter, told me today that um, she knew about this dig. Uh, she also said that um, she had tried to speak with him. First time in 18 years, she'd gone to the prison at the behest of the investigators, and he wasn't cooperative. She said he was uncooperative with her, his own daughter, and he's been uncooperative with the police. You've also tried to speak with him in the past. Is this sort of, um, is this in keeping with how he's been all along? 
Well, I don't know how his reception or how her reception was. It was extremely cold and, and any attempt uh, failed on, on my behalf. This was going back to just shortly after he was convicted, wanted to leave him alone during that period of time before his conviction. But no, it doesn't surprise me. The only the other thing, too, is I can see where he might be angry with his daughter. She's been pretty outspoken about the impact that that's had on her life and about the, the kind of human being that he was and is. And so, you know, there may be a real uh, a real wall there that needs to be somehow broken down. And that's the key when you go into the, the prison system and talk to these serial predators is you got to find out what it is that's going to make them move and make them tell you the things that you want to find out about. That's 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 my next question. What is the motivation? <laughs> What's in it for him? What can investigators do to try to entice a guy who's locked away for the rest of his life uh, to talk. You know, th- that is a real challenge. And I'll tell you, I had one serial predator who was a serial rapist of children, and he was eventually uh, confessed to 500 sexual assaults of children, Ashley. And the way I got him to go from those initial six or eight that, that he was arrested and convicted on was an orange crush soda because he couldn't get an orange crush soda in the stinking prison. So it's find out what it is that they really need to make those decisions. But I'll tell you, when when I um, first saw this and, and heard about this happening, them going and trying to talk to them, I, I thought about when this guy was arrested and all that was going on around the time that he was arrested. I, Kenny Landward was a personal friend of mine, the investigator who handled BTK from the first homicide uh, of the Otero family forward. And we talked many, many times about it. And I think the thing that's really interesting about this particular incident and what's going on right now is the fact that at that time, when Raider was arrested, I actually was having a conversation with Kenny about a serial killer truck driver that people were opining might be involved in the BTK murders. And Kenny said, what do you think about this? And I remember saying to him, if it isn't, the truck driver, and if BTK is alive, I don't think his ego is going to allow him to sit back and let somebody else get the credit. And now we're fast-forwarding, mm. and we're seeing all of a sudden Herman getting all kinds of credit, and I'm just wondering how, how much of that has to do with his ego and maybe the chance to get a little more information out. Well, tell you, I'm going to ask you to stand by for one second because we have a double header on breaking news tonight, Mike. So just stand down for about a minute and a half. Um, the other big breaking <laughs> okay. news story is this one. James Burke. Uh, a lot of people will recognize that name. Uh, he was arrested today. He was the former police chief in Suffolk County, New York. If that's familiar, it's because that was the county where the Gilgo Beach murders happened, where the Long Island serial killer was killing and dumping bodies for decades. And that guy was the police chief who headed the investigation Badly, I might add, loads of complaints from people saying he put up roadblocks to the feds. FBI barely could get cooperation. And then he ended up getting arrested, charged and imprisoned for beating up a suspect who broke into his car and stole his gun belt and ammo and sex toys and porn. I'm not I mean, you can't even write this stuff. Right. And when the suspect was chained to the jailhouse floor, uh, I took the boots to him. And then he and a couple of other guys uh, covered it all up. So he went away. Two other guys went away, a DA and also his mentor, uh, an assistant DA, prosecutor. It was actually a prosecutor of corruption. They're still serving. He served and got out and finished his probation and this morning was arrested. Okay, so here's what happened. He's arrested um, at a Vietnam memorial in Long Island. And there's a sting operation and the the, the cops, can they're only there for like a couple minutes. They hadn't even started the sting operation and then... Boom, they get one in the net. It's a, it's a dude, uh, the, the cop who's posing for, for the sex you know, solicitation is a, is, a, is a dude. And this guy, uh, James Burke, former police chief and f- former inmate and current felon, um, he solicited. Here are the charges. Uh, soliciting a sex act from an undercover cop, exposing himself. There's a couple more, too. Uh, this is crazy. He's already spent 46 months in a federal prison for the beating in the, in the jail. 
This is Farmington, Farmingville, Farmingville Vietnam Memorial Park. Here is the Suffolk County Police Commissioner current, uh, Rodney Harrison, and, and what he had to say about it today. Have a listen. Due to numerous complaints about activity over at Vietnam Memorial in Farmingville, members assigned to the Suffolk County Park Rangers Targeted Response Unit conducted an operation utilizing plainclothes rangers. At 10.15 a.m. today, during this operation, they engaged one individual who was soliciting for sexual engagement. Due to the actions that I am not going to share, this individual was placed under arrest. The Rangers ascertained that our perpetrator involved was identified as James Burke, former chief of the Suffolk County Police Department. He was transported to the 6th Precinct by Park Rangers for processing. He's being charged with offering a sex act, indecent exposure, public lewdness, and criminal solicitation, fifth degree. Additional charges may be pending. And we are still currently trying to ascertain if he's still on federal probation. So here's another little detail from the arrest this morning. Um, and as I tell you this, uh, the pictures that you're seeing are actually pretty recent. They're just around 5 o'clock Eastern this afternoon after he was released from the jail because he probably posted bond and got released and reporters are chasing after him. And this is him thinking, oh, man, this really blows. Uh, and the reason I know that that's probably what he was thinking is what he said to the sting uh, guy. He said to the undercover cop, the male undercover cop who did not recognize him and did not know that he was James Burke, the former police chief, he said, do you know who I am? And then he begged the police not to arrest him, saying that it would be public humiliation for him. I'll say. I'm going to bring Mike King back. (laughs) Retired homicide detective, 28 years in law enforcement. I can imagine that, you know, people like you do not like to see people like that, especially a former cop who already got smacked down pretty big and did some time in the big house, comes out, gets arrested for this. They won't even say what the actual behavior was, but can you just imagine what would warrant the charge? Oh, here, soliciting a sex act, public lewdness, indecent exposure. What, what would that have been, Mike? Well, I think it's pretty easy to, to envision what it was most likely, just because the elements of those crimes would require that there was a very concrete discussion about uh, exchanging something for sexual acts and that it would be also the exposing of uh, of this individual in some particular way or some lewd or lascivious act that they committed. And that's the thing that's so important for all of us to recognize is that law enforcement just doesn't go out and say, hey, we think this guy might be a pervert. They have to go out and say, look, there are elements to each offense that we're charging him with. And this person checked all the boxes. And, and boy, Ashley, you were right. I don't think there is anything more disappointing or disgusting to good cops than bad cops. And if, in fact, he's responsible for this, let alone all the things that preceded it, it is just really a disappointment and, frankly, makes it that much harder for cops to go out and do their job. Can you give me 10 seconds on whether you think that this will be um, extra harsh sentencing, given who he was, Given who he was, what happened after he was police chief, and how he's reoffending, does that mean the sentencing will be worse or sort of right on par with the guidelines? You know, really interesting question because if first, he's convicted, is, if he's convicted, they, let me just be really clear. Yeah, yeah, they won't. If he's convicted, they won't be he able is, to enter any innocent. of this. Yeah. Correct. They're not going to be able to enter any of this into the actual trial. So he's going to be able to get through without any of this coming through then. But that pre-sentence report's going to include it all. And a judge has to say, why is this kind of repetitive behavior going on? And is doing a release going to help? Mike, uh, double duty tonight. Thought you were going to do one story. Got you for two. Thank you for that. Great to be with you. Thank you. Always good to have you. I want to bring in Alexis Linkletter. She is the co-host of the podcast called Unraveled. Did extensive coverage on the Long Island serial killing. Alexis, you have said for a long time that James Burke was sort of the the, the key to the, the Gilgo Beach serial uh, murders and solving them. And now we're seeing maybe why that guy was on the run for so long, if he's in fact guilty. Um, this police chief is just a mess. 
Yeah, and he has a history of doing this. This recent arrest shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. He was punished in the 90s because he was caught with a sex worker in his uniform in a police vehicle then when he was just a patrol officer. And despite that, he somehow was still promoted to chief over the years. And in 2009, when he was working as an investigator for the DA's office, I interviewed a sex worker who said she had an encounter with him at a party. I mean, this is behavior that is textbook James Burke. I mean, nobody who is familiar with him and his history should be surprised. And here's the thing. He is tasked with investigating um, the killings of sex workers. And he himself is engaging, allegedly today, they say, um, you know, for illicit sex. Is there some thought that the investigation into the Gilgo Beach serial killer of sex workers uh, might have been impeded because of his personal predilections? Oh, absolutely. Back in 2012, when he was the chief of police, the last thing he wanted was the FBI digging around, talking to sex workers in Suffolk County because he was going to get caught and he was going to get outed as being somebody who engages in this kind of solicitation. And that's the last thing he wanted. So indirectly, he did sabotage the investigation to protect himself. Alexis Linkletter, uh, you were our first call when this happened just today, this breaking news. So we appreciate you um, weighing in and we're going to watch the developments on this. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Alexis Linkletter is the co-host of the Unraveled podcast. And still to come, uh, if you look up into the night sky in August, at least if you're in the northern part of the hemisphere, uh, you get a lot of you get a great light show, but you don't get this. You don't get what a pilot saw flying from Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic to New York for two and a half hours. A light show that was truly bizarre, and he wasn't the only one who saw it. Other pilots saw it. So here's the interesting part. There's a checklist when stuff like this surfaces. And not many things hit all the things in the boxes, but this one does. So one of the world's leading physicists, Michio Kaku, is going to join me with his thoughts on this latest very intriguing series of videos and pictures and whether he thinks in fact this could be extraterrestrial that's next video that was sent to ryan graves ryan graves is a former navy pilot highly decorated testified before congress about ufos and this commercial pilot sent him a video saying, I know who you are because of what you've done for Congress here, and uh, I want you to see what I saw on my last flight from the Dominican Republic to New York. It was this crazy light show that went on for two and a half hours. It was bright, then it was out of focus, then it moved very quickly. Uh, At times it looked metallic, it looked like it had a bit of a a tail on it. It was close to the Big Dipper, but it was loony. And what's fascinating about this is that Most of the time you get a UFO sighting, there's kind of a pattern. It's the same routine each time. Uh, A witness posts some video online, um, says that it's a possible alien, then uh, it goes viral, right? And then people get all wound up, then it's proven to be a hoax and everybody moves on. This one, though, is a little different. And it's a little different because it fits into the category of sightings that can't be immediately dismissed easily. And that's because this comes from a pretty credible source, okay? It not only comes from a credible source, there's photos, there's video. It went on for seven minutes, the videos. There were multiple witnesses, not just this one airline pilot who videotaped it from the cockpit and actually showed his instruments while he was doing it so that you could see he was in the cockpit. But another pilot actually saw it too. And again, it lasted for two and a half hours. So it's pretty credible stuff. Um, this happened in, this is fancy, but if you're into this kind of thing and you're kind of flight nerdy, this is in the southern boundary of the New York Oceanic Airspace, right? So it's 32,000 feet up and it's about 80 miles offshore. And here is the checklist that turns out exists for UFO sightings. If you can check a lot of these boxes, hey, if you can check all of them, then you're getting into credible territory. Okay, here it is. Is it a credible source? Well, this was a pilot, so yes. 
Is there photographic evidence? Yeah, there's seven straight minutes of it. Uh, were there multiple witnesses? Yeah, there were two commercial airline pilots. Uh, did the sighting last a long time? Uh, it lasted two and a half hours. Was the object caught on radar? No. And is there physical evidence of the object? No. But that, well, that's interesting. I think it's particularly interesting to Dr. Michio Kaku. He is one of the world's leading theoretical physicists. He's a renowned futurist. He's also a best-selling author, and he is my guest tonight. Dr. Kaku, I wanted to ask you right away what your initial thoughts were when you saw this latest series of pictures from the commercial pilot. Well, over the years, I've seen hundreds of these sightings, but the gold standard, the gold standard for these sightings is multiple sightings by multiple modes. Not just one person, not just one telescope, but several individuals and several means, that is videotapes, infrared sensors, radar. That's the gold standard. And this incident almost makes the cut. We don't have the videotapes. And we don't have essentially any other evidence on the ground. But it is pretty convincing over a period of two and a half hours. This is not a satellite. This is not a weather balloon. This is something that is not off the books. And so that's why this is now part of the gold standard of UFO observation. But it's not the smoking gun. The smoking gun would be tangible okay. That's Yeah, what's it? Tell me what a smoking gun has to be, doctor. I always wonder because it feels like we could, I could explain away anything um, if I really wanted to. So what smoking gun has to exist for people to really take this seriously and for Congress really take action? The smoking gun is to have tangible evidence in the form of alien DNA, an alien chip, a piece of a flying saucer that crashed. You, uh, exposing different kinds of metallurgy, something that you can touch and feel and experiment with. I'm a physicist. We deal with data. We deal with things that are reproducible, falsifiable, and testable. That is the smoking gun. And this does not satisfy it. However, in the recent congressional hearings, we had testimony that there are perhaps 40 individuals that, quote, have seen the bodies, quote, have seen the wreckage, and even intact UFOs. Now, if they could come forward with this evidence, that would be the smoking gun. Unfortunately, they're camera shy, and so we still don't know whether or not they really have the bodies uh, with the United States military. That would clinch it right then and there. Alien DNA, an alien chip, an alien technology, end of story. Well, we're fascinated by the reports that there is a secret UFO retrieval program. That was a story that, you know, News Nation broke earlier this summer from very credible sources. And it actually spurred these um, congressional hearings. Can I ask you, you know, in the past few decades, our advancements have been, you know, exponential, whether it's been space travel or artificial intelligence or quantum computers. Is this making us more capable of finding out what is out there? Or, or is it leading us in directions that we shouldn't be going? Well, I think that all the advances we've made on technology but pale in comparison to what the aliens may have, hypothetically. We're talking about coming up against a power that may have technology a thousand years ahead of us. They have interstellar travel if they can reach beyond the stars. We can just barely leave the orbit of the moon. And uh, we can't even go to the nearby stars. And yet these objects, if they are extraterrestrial, go across uh, space and time. And then people ask the question, well, if they're that advanced, how come they simply don't announce their existence? Well, if you're walking down a forest trail and you see a squirrel, do you go down and talk to the squirrels? Maybe initially you do, but then you get bored because the squirrels don't talk back to you. And then you begin to realize that we are the squirrels. And why should the aliens want to make contact with us? Because of the fact that they have nothing of interest. We have nothing of interest to them. What do we have that a technology thousands of years more advanced than us would want? And therefore, the squirrels, well, they're just going to be left alone. And that's why the aliens don't announce their existence. Why should they? But they have probably have more important things to do mm. than worry about the, the politics well, of these things. 
I think about that, and then I think there's Cindy Crawford, and there's you know Kim Kardashian and Polina Poroskova. But then again, <laughs> Dr. Kaku, thank you for being with me. I really appreciate your insight tonight. Look forward to our next talk. Mm-hmm. Me too. Okay, coming up after the break, um, the next person I'm going to talk about is actually a, a personal friend of mine and a famous TV judge. Judge Glenda Hatchett. She's also done a lot in her career to be a victim's advocate. And lo and behold, she has just become a victim herself. Uh, She was groped last year by a sheriff at a sheriff's conference, no less. He has pleaded guilty to it. It is kind of an astounding story. Just the details are bizarro. And Judge Hatchett herself is going to share them with me next. So judges are used to being on the bench, looking down towards the courtroom and hearing two sides of a you know, criminal procedure. They are not used to being uh, in the well of the court, giving an impact statement, having been a victim of crime, let alone famous judges that everybody knows. Judge Glenda Hatchett is a famous TV judge. She was on her own syndicated program forever. It's probably where you see her now and where you recognize her, if you didn't already know her name. Um, And I know her because she's been on my show a whole bunch for decades now. So I was particularly shocked to hear that she was the victim of a sexual crime. And then I was extraordinarily astounded to hear that the perpetrator was a sheriff and that it was at a sheriff's conference where it happened. So it happened last February, a week, a year ago, February, 20 months ago. And the sheriff in question is Christopher Cootie. He was introduced to Judge Hatchett as a judge. And the offense happened right there in front of everyone. Uh, he groped her breast. And another sheriff had to hit his hand off of Judge Hatchett's chest. So it's not some, oh, he said, she said business. This is nuts. Absolutely nuts. The judge uh, admitted it. He pleaded guilty to sexual battery. He stepped down from an office that he's held since 2017. He's agreed to one year of probation, 400 hours of community service, and a $500 fine. And Judge Hatchett is live with me now. Friend, I did not expect to have an interview with you like this. First, I want to say I'm sorry this happened to you, and yes. hello, and I miss you. I haven't talked to you in a while. Are you okay? I, and, um, I appreciate you reaching out to me as soon as it's happened. Ashley, you were one of the first people who called to check on me, and I have not forgotten that. I will never forget that. Thank you. Well, we go back a long way, and I was really so crestfallen to hear that this had happened, and I was just... I was so shocked, too. I just don't understand it. Can you walk me through exactly what happened? Like, as many details as you feel free or feel comfortable sharing? No, I'm going to share all the details. And I've been very transparent, was careful not to make any comments before the adjudication. You know, for obvious reasons, I, don't, I didn't want to in any way be criticized for tainting the process. Let me tell you exactly what happened. I was there as a guest of retired Sheriff Thomas Brown who is now the U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of Georgia. At the time he was retired, he was there. I was there as his guest at an informal reception for the Georgia Associations of Sheriffs. They have a winter meeting and a a, uh, summer meeting. And it was a winter meeting. It was January 2022. I was greeted. Um, People were very kind. They were excited to meet me. People wanted to take pictures. And so it was such a comfortable situation. I had no reason to feel that I was in any place that was not safe. So if you can imagine a kind of a top that you stand up at a table that tight, I was at the end of the corner. And then the short end of that table, Cody, I'm going to refer to tonight as the defendant, came and stood next to me, uninvited, came to the table. Thomas Brown turns around and says, I'm a retired sheriff, introduced himself. He did not know Cootie. I certainly did not know him. 
he then stood there and I was engaged in conversation. Um, yes, I, you know, my family's from Georgia, but I don't know where Blackley County is. Just making conversation. Actually, he took his index finger and did that. It's in the heart of Georgia. I did not take offense to that. What happened next is absolutely unbelievable. He then grabs my left breast, and I'm going to go into great detail with you, grabs my left breast, squeezes it, and rubs on it in the heart of Georgia, in the heart of Georgia. I was so angry with myself later because I didn't slap him, I didn't kick him. I was absolutely frozen. Thomas then turns back around, had to literally take his hand off of me and push him off. There were two women. I mean, literally, there were people at the table who saw exactly what happened. At first, he said he didn't do it. Then he said, you know, he didn't remember. It just went on and on and on. And I thought I was fine. And this is a part I'm going to be very personal and very transparent, Ashley, because we've gone back for a long time. And I want people to understand the gravity of this. I thought I was fine. I went home. Then Wednesday, I went back to a dinner. I don't want, I didn't want him to drive me into hiding or into a hole. And I thought it was still fine. Wednesday night, I went to that dinner. Thursday morning, I could not get out of bed. And you know me, you know me for a long time. I pride myself on being a very strong woman. Ashley, I was crying uncontrollably. My assistant then, who had been with me for some 12 years, had never seen me like that. With all the tragedies and things I've had in my life, she'd never seen me quite like that. To the point, I couldn't even get up out of bed to go and get something to eat. I was a wreck. I literally started therapy that evening at 6 o'clock with Dr. Susan May. And so I would encourage people who are victims to do that, to seek the help. But this is what you were saying in the beginning. I've been an advocate. I have been fighting for people's rights. I've been doing things for victims. I've had so many victims in my courtroom over all these years. But now I'm on the other side of this. And when I went into therapy, I was saying to my therapist, why didn't I react? Why didn't I hit him? Why didn't I do something? And she said, because often victims feel that guilt for not reacting. But it is not uncommon for you just to be frozen because it's so unusual and you aren't expecting it. And so Yeah, well, you know something that we you're you're a person of you're a person of power. So there's a lot of confusion, I think. It's all happening in real time. To talk about it in past tense, it's easy and you know, you can you can chew it all up and all the rest, but when it happens in real time, the time is ticking and your reactions are being contemplated. Uh your stature in the room is also being questioned, and as a judge facing a, a sheriff who's done this awful thing, I'm sure that, you know, there was a lot going, going through your mind. I do want to ask you, uh, you know, the, the sheriff resigned and he got one year probation, 400 hours of community service and a $500 fine. Do you think that that is an appropriate punishment for what happened? Well, I do. And I think Justice served. Justice Brewer was on the bench um, Monday. What I do appreciate most, Ashley, is that he did not allow him first offender treatment, although they pressed hard for it, they wanted it. And what he said is the circumstances of this case, I cannot under these circumstances allow you this protection so that you, your record will be gone. This will be on your record forever. And I was very pleased with that. I was told going into this that he probably wouldn't get any jail time. This is a negotiated plea. Otherwise, we would have gone to trial. And, of course, I was prepared to go to trial. I mean, like, yes, come on, bring it on. Uh, but I do. I, th- I thought it was. Um, he was forced to resign. I thought the governor should have suspended him uh, a long time ago. There was a press conference uh, on the Capitol steps, and the governor's response was outrageous. He said that he wasn't going to do anything because he was not acting 
in his official capacity when this happened. He's he's been in a lot of different judges over times, and so I I am disappointed in the process. I'm disappointed in in the prosecutor not being far more aggressive and opposing so many continuances. She is newly elected, and I think that, um, well, I know that she was offered help from a very seasoned DA in that same county, and she refused, uh, and I asked her to reconsider. But that's a whole other issue. I think that people have to understand that this is not to be tolerated. And if it can happen to me, Ashley, it can happen to anybody. Oh, If it can happen to a judge, a famous judge that everyone in the room knows is a judge, it's it. That's why I was so gobsmacked by it. Judge Glenda Hatchett. Thank you for coming on tonight and being so candid, sharing your story and and sharing with others. One one quick thing. Ashley, it's not lost to me. I was the only black woman in the room, the only black woman in that room then. Well, I don't know if that had something to do with it, but um, listen, I'm, I'm really sorry for what you've been through. And um, and I like I said, I miss you, and I look forward to our chance for us to get together at some point soon and catch up. All right. I Judge Glenda Hatchett joining us live tonight. Um, what a story, really, just bizarre. All right, coming up after the break, uh, if you saw the crime in Oakland County where a young woman was pistol-whipped and dragged by the hair across gravel, all because these thugs wanted to get her purse, It made us wonder what happens if there were no police at all, because there is a town called Goodhue, Minnesota, that doesn't have anyone to call right now. Every cop has quit. You're going to find out more about that story and this one on your screen next. Babes, what are you doing? What? I'm just mowing the lawn. No, it's blazing hot and dry out here. Don't you remember? Smokey Bear says, Avoid using power equipment when it's windy or dry. Where'd you learn this? Oh, it's on SmokeyBear.com with many other wildfire prevention tips. Right. Thanks, honey bear. Because remember, only you can prevent wildfires. Brought to you by the USDA Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives and restore sight and health for many more. Sign up right now online as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources, and Services Administration. What if one day you went to your secret hiding place and instead of what you came for, you found a phone number? 1-800-662-HELP. What would you do? Would you stop and give it some thought? Before drugs take their toll on you and your family, know that there is help. You can quit. For help with drug use, call 1-800-662-HELP for free and confidential information and treatment referral or go to samhsa.gov slash know the risks. My name is uh, Jin Wei Zhang. I'm the chair of a computational biology department at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. As a data scientist, I feel so excited about seeing the potential impact, not only on the kids treated at St. Jude, but across the world. And I think this is a great use of the trust we got from our donors. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. I'm a pretty great multitasker. I can wash dishes and do laundry. I can roller skate while walking my dog. I can even order lunch while doing my homework. But I can't use my phone while driving. A distracted driver is one of the leading causes of death in the United States. So when it comes to driving, please, don't be a multitasker. Don't drive distracted. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. So before you do this or this... 
Make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. News Nation Audio is here for you 24-7 on the News Nation app and on Alexa. To get News Nation on your screen, go to joinnn.com. After I lost my mom, I lost my way. Then I found youth advocate programs, yet behavioral health services. As a little kid, I made some mistakes, but I'm not a mistake. YAP gives communities alternatives to residential care, youth incarceration, and neighborhood violence. After completing our program, nearly 90% of participants remain in their community. YAP works. I work it towards a bright future. Youth advocate programs. Others talk social change. We make it happen. Learn more at yapinc.org. Some people won't give you the real talk on drugs, but it's time we know the facts. Fentanyl is often laced into illicit drugs and used to make fake versions of prescription pills. You can't see it, taste it, or smell it. Suppliers mix fentanyl into their products because it's potent and cheap, and the dealer might not even know. Keep yourself and others safe by knowing the real deal on fentanyl. Get the facts. Go to realdealonfentanyl.com. This message is brought to you by the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dr. Kathleen Eubanks-Ming with the American Academy of Family Physicians. Bullies use power, strength, or popularity to hurt others emotionally or physically. And while you can't be with your child all the time, there are ways you can help. If your child encounters a bully, tell them to get to a safe place and tell an adult. You can also show them how to block online bullies. Teach them they can be more than a bystander and that they can help their peers. For more on bullying, visit FamilyDoctor.org or talk with your family physician. PM broad daylight. And when we saw this, it brought us to the thought of another town that we heard about just this week. Uh, Goodhue, Minnesota. The cops in Goodhue, Minnesota have all quit because of this kind of thing and because of the pay that they get and the disrespect that they get for it. The chief, Josh Smith, resigned, said, 22 bucks an hour, I can't even hire candidates here. And in solidarity, all other officers also quit, all six of them. Now the city of 1,000 has no police force. And the sheriff of Goodhue County has had to step in. They're already stretched, and they've now got to cover the county. Sheriff Marty Kelly joins me now live. Sheriff Kelly, it was so distressing to hear that the town of Goodhue now doesn't have any police. When I see a picture like that, granted that's in Oakland, but crime is crime. People need help. And, and police aren't being paid well. They're not being respected. Two questions for you. Can you cover the town of Goodhue? And number two, is this the future for a lot of towns across the country? Well, thank you for having me. Yes, we will be able to take care of Goodhue uh, fairly well. We are short-staffed, and we're working on that. Um, But yes, to answer the second question, this is a trend across, for sure, Minnesota, if not the nation. There is just not enough people filling those retirement spots coming out of school. And some of the bigger cities are paying 30 bucks an hour. And this Josh Smith said at 22, what, what, what can we possibly do? I'm going to have you back when I have more time on the program. I want to dig deeper into the possibilities, like what, it, what will it take to get more people interested in policing again and to raise the pay and raise the budgets. But I'm so sorry this has happened to your community, Sheriff, and I'm wishing you and your fellow sheriff's officers luck in covering Goodhue and um, and hopefully Goodhue rebuilding a police department. Thank you for being on tonight. Well, I appreciate that. That's uh, Sheriff Marty Kelly, who's got a lot of uh, work ahead of him. Hey, that's all the time I have for tonight on Banfield. Thank you so much for being here. I look forward to seeing you live right back here tomorrow night. In the meantime, stick around. Mattel Cuomo is coming up next. This is your captain. We are going to be experiencing some slight turbulence. Please fasten your... Oh, hold on. Just got a video of my cat. Imagine the pilot of an airplane was as confident as you are texting and driving. Seems kind of crazy when you put it like that. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Everyone has a community, a neighborhood, school, kids' teams, where you worship, work, work out, or any other place or group where you choose to belong. Communities can provide support when you need it, and even when you don't know you do. Like when it comes to preventing underage drinking and other substance use, 
Community members can be your eyes and ears when you're not with your kids and alert you to signs of potential problems. Learn more at talktheyhearyou.samhsa.gov. For my friend, Luke. For my mom, Paulette. And for my mom, Finia. For my husband, Helmut. Honor someone you love by learning the warning signs of stroke. If you see face drooping, arm weakness, or speech difficulty, it's time to call 911. A stroke can happen to anyone at any age. Be ready to spot a stroke fast. Learn more from the American Stroke Association at stroke.org. Serving in Afghanistan, I was shot in the head by sniper fire. I was given a 5% chance to live. I'm Adam Alexander, and I'm a veteran. Today, I visit classrooms and share my story. I tell kids that with a little help and a lot of work, that you can overcome any challenge. DAV helps veterans like Adam get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year. My victory is being there for the next generation. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. At Doctors Without Borders, we put patients first. And we go where we're needed most. We believe people deserve to be treated with compassion and dignity. We treat our patients completely free of charge and without regard to race, religion, or politics. And thanks to the six million people around the world who support our work, Doctors Without Borders will continue to put our patients first. This is Cuomo on News Nation's audio stream, available 24-7 on the News Nation app, or just say, Alexa, play News Nation. My toddler got into my cleaning supplies. I might have taken too much medication. Do I need to go to the hospital? When poison happens, poison help is here. We're the free 24-7 hotline that answers your poison questions. With expert advice from local professionals, available at no charge in over 100 languages, make the right call in a poison emergency. Call Poison Help. 1-800-222-1222. Or visit poisonhelp.hrsa.gov. Want to get out of just about anything and look like an earth-saving hero? Just use the environment excuse. High school reunion? Sorry, can't. Planetary obligations. Unfortunate bridesmaid's dress? Unfortunately, you promised the climate you'd buy more vintage. Chauffeuring teens? The earth really needs them to hoof it. The environment is always the best excuse. Find your out and opt in to cutting carbon. Just visit theenvironmentexcuse.org. Brought to you by Wild Aid. For more than a century, AM radio has evolved to meet the needs of our community. In their car, at home, or on the job, more than 80 million listeners depend on AM radio each month. AM radio is also the backbone of the emergency alert system, which keeps us safe in dangerous times. It's reliable, free, and public safety depends on it. Text AM to 52886 and tell Congress we need AM radio in cars. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Kind of like choosing Derek Jeter as the pinch hitter for your baseball team. Jeter, you're in. We need a home run. I'll give it a try. I've swung a bat once or twice. That's out of here. Yep, even easier than that. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees. is For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.